It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving at your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, Paul Dennett here. Just letting you know that Cricket Unfiltered is now on Patreon. If you are a fan of our show and would like to support us with a few dollars each month, go to patreon.com slash cricketunfiltered or click the link in the show notes on your podcast app. Men is here. Our Patreon supporters will also get some pretty cool bonus content. Paul will be doing a series of cricket history podcasts. And Manners will be doing long-form interviews with leading cricket personalities. All of these shows, plus other bonus features, will be available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. So if you want some great extra content, or if you just love the show and would like to help support us financially, please go to patreon.com slash cricketunfiltered. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Mensel. Joining me is Jaleesa Apps, sports reporter for Channel 10. Jaleesa, how are you? I'm really good. I'm full of nuggets. Full of chicken nuggets? Yeah, because you bought us nuggets. Yeah, we had a gourmet dinner to start things off. And the other panellist is... Well, the man who I plucked from his podcast, the the bat and ball with Pat and Paul five years ago, and now we've been podcasting together, I think for five years, Paul. I think it's actually six. Yeah, six years. Yeah, I think it's six. After the 2015 World Cup. Something like that, yeah. Yep. Happy anniversary. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, So we've got a lot to get through in today's show. We haven't been in studio for a couple of weeks, but there's a lot of cricket headlines. We've got Can't Let It Go. We've got some listener reviews, which I'm sure my co-hosts are going to have a lot of fun with. And then finally, um, we've got Can't Let It Go, as I said before. But before we get into it, a couple of big announcements. The first one is really big, um, that Paul and I are starting a new cricket podcast. It's called Cricket Daily. And Paul, um, I guess the name pretty much says it all. Yeah, Cricket Unfiltered will still continue, of course, in the, just as it's always been. But every day, Monday to Friday, at a 15-minute show, a little bit of news and some discussing discussing the main topics and so if you you know if you love cricket and you want to hear a, a dedicated show to it every every day then please tune in i think it's going to be good yeah i think the difference between what that show will be in this one is it'll be a little bit more focused on the world cricket news and a bit, little bit less on the Australian focus. And we've got a variety of different cricket um, journos and reporters. Yeah, to the truth. Join is, us. The truth. Can we just cut to the truth? The truth is they didn't know how to tell me they didn't want to do this with me anymore. What are you talking so about? they started a whole new <laughs> podcast. Like guys, come on. Yeah, and, then and we're just, I oh, we're just not here next Tuesday night, Julie. Does this even record? Like, are we just? 
pretend recording? Yeah, yeah, this is just for us. It's just, like, just like a farewell, oh, Jaleesa. How long are we going to do this tour for? Well, don't know, Jaleesa, because my second bit of news is that the the live show in Bura is becoming more and more of a possibility. Oh, it's gaining traction, yeah, isn't one it? One of our listeners, Cheryl, um, sent in a photo of her being in uh, Bura last weekend and – I think there's a real appetite for a live cricket podcast yeah. recording there. It's gaining it's gaining traction. I don't really understand why you replied to her and said Ken Bora would do a live show. Like what what do you mean? Like we've got internet, we've Oh, got, okay, you've got internet. Well that was my yeah. first question. We've got we we're moving on up. Yeah, good. Mm. They've got the cable all the way out that far. That's quite an achievement. I've got mm. a Bora anecdote. Oh yeah, what Go is on. it? I've been um preparing my next Dennett's deep dive and it's gonna be focusing on Australia's greatest ever leg spinner, Bill O'Reilly. Just before he died, and about thirty years ago, he did an interview about his whole life, and he had grown up in the in Wingelow, um, but he was asked to describe where he grew up, and he listed all the areas around and sort of said, "These are some of the greatest places to live in the whole world. No one could live in a better spot." And he listed about his own town and four others, and one of them was Burrell. <gasps> really? Yeah, he just said it was like just heavenly to live there, and you could never ask for it to, to live in a better place. You was, really couldn't. Exactly. So. There you go. There's my Burrow anecdote. Yay. And that'll be coming out on the next Dennett's Deep Dive. All right, let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. And first thing I want to set all the listeners' minds at ease, the Australian cricketers from the IPL are back. They're in quarantine. Mr. Cricket mm-hmm. Mike Hussey is okay. He's recovered from COVID-19. I heard him chatting on the radio today saying that it, it did knock him around a bit more than he thought at the time. But uh, good news that they're all back. And since our last show, you and Paul and I recorded a little bit of a chat on the the cricket ball tampering resurfacing in the news after Cameron Bancroft's um, comments. But uh, our panelists here, Jaleesa Apps, oh, I'm not no. sure if you want to oh. go into this because you <laughs> tweeted, I have no energy for the ball tampering scandal anymore. It's three years ago. There's been a pandemic. Rub whatever you want on your balls. Hashtag cricket, hashtag ball tampering. And I stand by it. Was that sponsored by Cricket Australia? <laughs> <laughs> um, this is uh, – and I – guys, if you want me as a Cricket Australia CEO, this is the kind of energy that you'll get. <laughs> okay, so I don't know why I'm not being looked at because I would just literally come out and say, rub whatever you want on your balls, the world's changed. No, it's neat. All you need is to add the phrase we heard a million times last week. Mm. There – if there is no new evidence, we will not be reopening the investigation. No, I thought, Rob, whatever you want on your balls was a good way to end. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I agree with it. Um, I just wish this topic would go away. And uh, unfortunately, it has re-emerged, so we probably need to talk about it. Yeah, I don't think there was any new information that came out. I just get very, very frustrated with the kind of rhetoric that goes on with you would think – cricket journalists that have good sense, that there is no other story there that ball tampering was rife in international cricket. Australia went too far one day. It doesn't need an inquiry. It doesn't need to open up a can of worms. It, it was poorly managed by the ICC for a number of years, and then this um, happened, and since then we haven't seen reverse swings. So I think if anything needs to be investigated, it's probably the way the ICC handled ball tampering for a number of years, not what happened before Cape Town. My, t- my take on it is just it is literally three years ago, and th- what happened – before I actually went rogue and tweeted this, was that the statement from the bowlers landed in my inbox and it landed right in between two other emails. And one email was, Australian dies of COVID in India and the other email was, the man dies of a shark attack. And in between there is, we didn't cheat. Well, like, come on, a bit of perspective. Do you know what I mean? Like it was just, they landed there and I went, oh my God, this is three years ago. And I'm sure it's just a little bit quiet on the cricket riding front at the moment and everyone's sort of searching for a little bit to write about. And I, it was really, I heard. I don't think that's it though. I don't think it's writers short of stuff to write about. I just think uh, this story is so spiky with the public. Like everyone's fascinated with it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a little, I'm just sick of it though, because a lot of what I was hearing a lot from talkback on radio was people, uh, particularly a few radio hosts saying, well, what they've gone to Cameron Bancroft and he says that there's no more to add. Well, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. We need to get to the bottom of it. And what, 
Well, what are you going to do? You're going to hold a gun to his back and say, "Tell us, tell us what you know." Yeah, there's nothing else. Tell, to tell us what you were alluding to. Oh, like, David Warner rubbed rubbed the ball on his band aid the game before. I mean, does that need an inquiry? Uh, and it's just like, come on, move on. I think what where I, I, I agree to, to an extent, Menace, but where I sort of disagree is that maybe I was a bit naive, but I at the time didn't quite realise how limited in scope Cricket Australia's investigation was and how it almost seemed as though they were saying, right, we will look at what happened in the that afternoon at Cape Town, we'll hammer those in question, but we, we're not open to, to what happened before. And I get that there was an arms race towards um, ball tampering, that Australia certainly weren't the only offenders. Every country was doing something. But um, I think that um, uh, Jeff Lemon had a good quote in, in The Guardian. He sort of said, Cricket Australia was content with the story that no Australian cricketer had considered tampering until Warner had a brainwave at lunch on day three of a match, at which point he taught Bancroft how to do it, despite never having done it himself, only to be caught immediately on bringing it onto the field. I think that's a fairly decent point. And the notion that before this, all Australia had done was be a little bit naughty like all nations had, you know, throw it into the pitch, maybe a mint here, or things that were kind of wrong but sort of um, tolerated. That may be the case, but it also may be the case that maybe they had done something rather bad just before this because Australia got uh, the ball swinging around corners in the first two test matches. The fact that they didn't have a proper investigation where they said, right, we are really going to go over everything, means that that's still an open possibility. And so that's where I think that this story still has some legs. But yeah. it's uh, it's three years ago now. Like you probably should – I agree with you, uh, Paul, that probably there wasn't a great investigation, but it should have been done at the time and it wasn't and people's memories fade three years on and it's, yeah, it's too late it, to it's go just back too late. It. It's, and, and you can't get – you know what, if Cameron Bancroft makes some – very vague, suggestive statement in an interview, but then says, I don't want to give any more evidence. Well, what are you going to do? That's right. Yeah, the only point I want to make about that afternoon in Cape Town is that the Australian team had been tipped off that the cameras were looking very closely at David Warner. So that's why he went to Cameron Bancroft, I think, with the sandpaper. And also it was a flex point in the series. It was one all in the series. The game, That game was on the line. And Australia knew if we don't get the ball to reverse soon, we're probably going to lose this test match. And the South Africans who have been sexist and hassling us and we've been fighting in the stairwell, they're going to win this series. So uh, we'll, we'll just do what we – Warner was like, we'll just do what we can to win. I don't care. And that's where I think – that's what I think what happened. I don't we, think we, will never, we will never know what happened until someone retires and writes a book or does a sit-down – we will never really know what had happened in the years prior, in the months prior, or anything like that. And I just don't think going over it is going to do much at this point. Mm. But what you say, Menas, um, might be right. That it may have been just that act of desperation. They'd, and they'd never done anything particularly egregious before, but it may not be right. I mean, <laughs> the, the rumour was that Warner in earlier test matches had an unnecessarily abrasive bandage on his hand and was using that to... Um, you know, for the ball to be rubbed against that. I would like to know that. Um, you know, and, and at the time, and I agree now, maybe it's too late now, but at the time, that's the sort of investigation they should have done. Because yeah, even, for if, sure. even if the investigation confirmed that actually they'd really done nothing worse than anyone else prior to this, th there still needs to be an accountability to say they still shouldn't have been doing anything. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. next time that something like this raises its head, I want the Australian cricketers to feel empowered to be able to say no. Um, we're not going to do it just because everyone else is. There, there needs to be something in place to say, right, we're making a, you know, we're making a stand here. And I think that the bowler's uh, statement was disappointing as well in just how carefully chosen um, the words were. The fact that they specifically limited their denial to that afternoon in Cape Town to foreign substances that were used then. It sort of it leaves open the possibility, I'm not saying that they did, but it leaves open the possibility that they knew that something untoward was being done in previous test matches. And also when they say that they refer to the umpires and say, well, the umpires, highly experienced umpires, they checked the ball and found that there was nothing wrong with it, therefore how could we have been expected to know? That, that's not what people are saying. People are not saying you should have known because you were bowlers because of what happened in that those 20 minutes beforehand. They're saying you should have known potentially because of what may well have happened in the dressing room beforehand in the, in the days and the weeks leading up to it. So 
or just, as a culture inside your team. Yeah. So I just think that um, I agree with Jaleesa. We don't need to be revisiting this issue. But because Cameron Bancroft clumsily or otherwise caused it to be reopened, it has been reopened. And I look back on it and realise I was probably a bit naive. I was mm. quite happy with the Cricket Australia investigation at the time. Now it t- transpires they didn't interview all the players. They didn't really want to know what, what happened. I think that was a mistake. They would have been better off um, getting a, a real hardcore... Uh, no holds barred investigation. Let the chips fall where they may, and we'd probably be better off for it. I would prefer a thorough investigation into how South Africa have tampered with tampered with the ball over a number of years. But that's uh, absolutely, I'd love that. But I don't use the word prefer. I'd like that as well. But we can only control uh, mm. Australia. Look, if the investigation showed that we'd done nothing worse than anyone else until that moment, but that it said, yeah, well, look, we did do the, you know, rubbing on the zip and all these other things, Australia could come out and say we're confident that w- we'd done the wrong thing, but that every other nation was doing it. Um, I think, you know. Other nations were doing the wrong thing as well, but I want the Australian team to be uh, held to, the, to to high standards. Mm. Now, the the dumbest thing I've heard in a while was a statement by Michael Clark. Now, we this just came talk be- about the bowler statement. Yeah, or? this came before the bowler statement, and Michael Clark was talking on the radio, and that he thought the bowlers must know what was mm-hmm. going on. And then this is what Clark said. It certainly was not done personally from my perspective, particularly with the four bowlers concerned. I'm good friends with all of them. Now, I'm not sure all four of those bowlers would consider Michael Clark a good friend after he said that they know about the ball tampering. <laughs> you were really angry at this. You you know what? I uh, The thing that I got that I was found really bizarre was the hate that Michael Clark was getting for what ben Cameron Bancroft said. Well, Cameron Bancroft brought this back. He threw Cameron his Bancroft, teammates under the bus. Cameron Bancroft, who? Michael Clark, Clark. his former teammates. He's like, oh, they must have known. Like, he wasn't there. He had. He wasn't in the dressing room, so you no, can't just say that. but this is what that. he's paid for. He works on yes. radio, and this is his job now. He doesn't oh, yeah. know yeah, he doesn't he owe Australian I'm group. personally good friends with all of them. So? So I mean, maybe he is. Maybe he's, that's, a lie. that's a lie. He's not good friends with all of them. Well, that's hardly the biggest issue. I mean, he might think he is. Yeah, um, he might think. I bet they don't. And what if what if he's sitting there and he he really believes that they knew that others knew? Maybe David Warner and Steve Smith would be sitting back going, "Well, glad someone's saying it." Well, do you know what I mean? Warner had a good like week, that's, that's just sure. playing devil's advocate. I'm yeah. not saying that they did know, but I that's bet, playing devil's advocate. I just advocate. like the bit that he considers. <laughs> I'm really good friends with them, but they're all cheats. Um, what do you think about the point where? Um, in the statement, they talked about that our integrity has been questioned by some journalists and past players. When I first read that, I thought they're referring to Cameron Bancroft already <laughs> as a past player. <laughs> You're like, oh, RIP Cameron. Yeah, I'm not, not sure how I well. I thought this feel. statement was quite bizarre. In the first of all, I was like, I, I felt, you know what, I I didn't really agree with releasing a statement because I thought. Again, we talked about at the time, the biggest problem with Australian cricket at the time was that it lived in a bubble. Mm. And this statement just made it seem like this was a really important issue and we really need to put a statement out about it. No, no, it's three years ago and the world is like going through a lot of other issues at the moment and get out of this and bubble. I think you're wrong on this one, Jaleesa. I just and thought, I'm sorry to, to say that on air, and um, but I just think you're 1,000% wrong with this. 1,000% in what, in the, what, the, what the I'm... The ripples of ball tampering <laughs> will remain with Australian cricket for a long time. Yeah, they time. will. But what I'm saying is this statement was not needed now. You said your piece. So like, what? But everyone at the time, including Hang on, Michael just Clark. let me finish. Just let me finish. Yeah. So I I think that the statement, like, what, what did we get out of this statement? All we got out of this, so what they're saying in this statement was, we deny that we knew about. Oh, That's okay. Right. They're so, being definitive. Yeah, but they've already done that. And so what are you adding to this statement? Like, well, it's, what? It's, no, no, it's, hang on. Yeah. Just let me finish. Yep. What are you adding? What are you adding by saying we didn't know? All you're adding is a quite carefully worded statement that actually left, I, I think it was just badly worded, but left a lot of sort of questions because it was so specifically worded it didn't say we never knew about any ball tampering or anything like that do you do you know what i mean i do but it, it, it was the, such a specifically worded statement that i actually think it was badly written that you had it, player manager writing that all over it. you know what i would have done and this is me going rogue again so i'm a rogue ceo and i'm a rogue media manager yeah. my statement my statement would, i'm a great journo though <laughs> <laughs> my statement would have been 
Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood, Mitch Stark, Nathan Lyon have nothing more to add to the ball tampering scandal. Here's 10 articles you should read other than that because there's more important things going on in the world. End statement. I don't think that would have been enough. I think there were so many aspersions being cast at that bowling group that week, two weeks ago, that I think a definitive statement that that quashed any rumours... It didn't quash any rumours. Nobody who believes that these four cheated read that statement and went, I now believe them. It didn't add anything. Well, if, if people, you know, what, you have to just accept, and it is probably very unfairly. Maybe they didn't know. I mean, they say the investigation found that they didn't know, so we have to say they didn't know. So if they didn't know, there are there are people that doubt that you have not convinced them otherwise by this statement. People will always not believe you, and you just have to move on. Well, no, I agree that the statement hasn't. Mm. Um, uh, hasn't resolved it because the it's never it, it probably never will be resolved. It but will it never would, be resolved. It, it only could have been resolved if there'd been a proper investigation and if maybe it had come out of it that yeah look we saw a couple of things that were a bit untoward we never t- participated in it but we sort of shut our eyes we should have said something about it everyone cops a one month suspension or something and then then you know it moves on from there if that's what if that's what had come out, out of it but I mean you look at the quote that from All Darren Lehman statement needed to add, be if they really wanted to put a statement was we have nothing more to add. Or we've never in- engaged or in witnessed any form of ball tampering ever. The which, end, end of sentence. But one they can't sentence. Say that. This was the weirdest, like, long-winded statement. Because you look at Darren Lehman's quote from before the series. Obviously, there are techniques used by both sides to get the ball to reverse, and just that's just the way the game goes. I have no problems with it. Simple. You'd have to ask the umpires and ICC about that whether it is legal. And I think he had a little. In my memory, he had a bit of a chuckle as he was saying that. He did, yeah. Um, so. That's the climate in which um, in which it was said. One other thing, um, and you touched on it before, I, I do agree with you, man, is that the worst thing that was done on that tour was not the ball tampering, it was not the um, the poor behaviour by both sides in terms of sledging and maybe the Aussies were worse. It wasn't even the confrontation um, in the, the, the stairwell. The, the fact that the crowd was wearing Sonny Bill Williams masks and handing around songbooks to insult Candace Warner was disgraceful. Yeah. But the worst thing was those two South African cricket officials who, um, uh, after some South African fans tried to get into the ground wearing Sonny Bill Williams masks, weren't allowed, and they came down and allowed them in mm. and posed with them. Yeah. That's the worst thing that happened on that whole trip. doesn't excuse anything that the Australians did or behaviour, but... For Candace Warner to have been treated in that abysmal way, um, repugnant way, hmm. um, that's the worst thing that happened on that whole tour. Yeah, I agree with you. It was completely disgraceful. Yeah, and I think that was the one bit of new news that came out recently was that Chris Barrett from the Sydney Morning Herald reported that Dave, uh, David Peaver at the time, the, the CEO of um, – well, the, the chair of the board had said, threatened South Africa that they were going to bring – your team home due to these masks, so it was yet, a very serious situation. It didn't kind of show what, what the resolution of that of that was because obviously they didn't come home. And then reading about it, the two men in question, one of them resigned and got another job elsewhere in, in sort of I think it was for cricket South, okay, tourism South Africa. The other one was suspended for a while, but then um, reinstated with potentially some sort of sanction that was never made public. So you know, if Australia stood up to them, they really didn't get much of a result. No. Jaleesa, I have a question mm. for you. I, I know you don't want to talk about it because it was three years ago, so I'm going to bring you back to the present. I think that what happened with this story flaring up actually affects Steve Smith's chances of getting the captaincy back. I think we've yeah. we've just seen how this sort of lingers under the surface and even, you know, Payne's comments at the Chapel Foundation dinner, uh, you know, they were completely overshadowed by this. And I just think this actually, you know, probably – puts a nail in the coffin for Smith ever getting the captaincy back. I agree with you. I don't think that uh, – unfortunately, I think that everyone's been tarnished by this and I don't think he'll ever be able to undo what's done. It's a really sad – the thing that I find just really sad was just how this will always be the biggest part thing that happened in his career. And that's so sad that we have one of the world's best batsmen that we've ever seen and this will always be the direct thing that's referred to after Steve Smith. 
It's okay though. I mean, Greg Chappell had that with the underarm incident, and it still does get referred with about it when, when he talked about. But he's also revered and regarded as arguably Australia's second best ever batsman, and I still think that the the whole you know it's one very disappointing point and it does get referred to. But I don't think it's ruined his reputation by any means. I still think he's regarded as a as an all time great of the game, and Steve Smith will be, but it'll always be there as an asterisk. Yeah, I don't think that he can. Um I don't think he will captain again. I agree that this makes – I see where your point is, men, is that they would be thinking if we appoint him as captain again, this invites this to be opened up um, regularly. So I think it probably do- reduces his chances of being made captain again. But I can't say that it out, you know, that it rules it out completely. It to some extent, this- possibly even reduces maybe um, Pat Cummins' chances. No, of being- no, no, mate, the statement. The statement sorts all that out. <laughs> Yeah, one of the... All right, let's move on to the next headline. But if you do want to do a little deep dive into the Sandpaper scandal, I interviewed Gideon Hay about his book Crossing the Line. That's a couple of years ago. And I interviewed Jeff Lemon about his book. They were both about his book, Steve Smith's Men. They are both, um, you know, old episodes, but go and listen to them. We really get into the sort of details of what happened. If David Warner ends up writing a book, I will run, not walk to the shops to mm. get it. It could be the biggest I, selling book. Yeah. What, uh, I find sports books in general, um, like, sorry, autobiography books in sports people, just the most incredibly boring thing you can read. It, particularly cricket because often it's like, yeah, um, I had a really nice mum and dad and a sister <laughs> who took me to cricket every weekend and then I was got rich and got richer. <laughs> but, so <laughs> I often find them a little bit like, oh, great. Um, but that will be a read. I think you'll just smash the sh- South Africans actually. I don't think you'll I don't think you'll ever open up about any of the details. I think he will just lean into what we talked about before with the discussion treatment of his wife and I think you know, the, the, that behaviour of the South African crowds just gets worse and worse as time goes on. Mm. It just looks worse and worse. Yeah, it does. I wonder if someone else will, um, you know, a more minor player who's just, if I was uh, at the end of my career, I'm 35, I'm going nowhere and think, okay, I, I actually know what happened. Yeah, Cameron yes. Bancroft. Well, <laughs> well, like the physio. Oh, it's a Darren Lee <laughs> handing out sandpaper to everyone. Yeah, yeah. We hit all the bowl it's like, yeah, give me a piece. <laughs> All right, now the next headline, and I am elated because the summer schedule for next next cricket season has been announced and it is jam-packed with cricket, highlighted by two Ashes series, men's and women's, a number of white ball games and two test matches for the Australian women's team. Quite a summer. Paul, what jumped out at you from the schedule? I think the fact that the fifth test is going to be in Perth rather than Sydney, and I'm well, I welcome this. They haven't done this deliberately. The schedule has sort of been squashed into this way, but we're going to have, for, for the men's Ashes, it's going to start at the Gabba and then the day-nighter at the Adelaide Oval, then to the Boxing Day test and then the New Year's test in the SCG. Again, it's going to start a little bit later, January 5th of January. And then the, the final test will be at Perth Stadium from the 14th to the 18th of January. I kind of like that. I think that it gives Perth an opportunity to have a test match in the kind of real holiday zone for the first time. Um, you know, Western Australian fans get to the ground. Perth's been angry that they get maligned about their low low crowds uh, where you've got a massive opportunity. If you can't go close to filling out, um, you know, selling out uh, Perth Stadium, uh, at least, you know, 40,000 for a few of those days, then that'll be really disappointing. But I'm really looking forward to it, and I think it's a great end to the summer. Yeah, that's come about because of the World Test, uh, the World T20 yeah. competition. So both teams should arrive a bit later, and therefore they're they're, they're playing the, the Perth test last, but I also think that's a little bit due to COVID with borders stuff that because Western Australia have closed their borders quite suddenly a few times that if it's in the middle of the series, that could cause a lot of problems. But if you're there and that happens and you don't have any test matches afterwards, it might be a bit easy to manage. Doesn't it get you excited just looking at us? A schedule. Oh, it gets cricket. me so like, excited. Oh, it's not that actually that far away. Yeah, and there's two home tests for the women's team, which is the first time in almost 20 years. Um, the women's team will host England and India next summer. Australia, after the Ashes, have an ODI and T20 series against the Kiwis, then a T20 series against the Sri Lankans. Starting to prepare for the home World T20 slated for the end of next year. There are no one days um, with the men's English team when they're out here. 
um, which is kind of good because they kind of get lost at the end of an Ashes. They're only sort of um, interesting if they're played before the Ashes. Also, I think it's a good outcome that the Afghanistan Test match is not going to be in Perth. I think that we're sometimes accused of not being the nicest <laughs> hosts. Um, welcome, Afghanistan, to your first ever Test match in Australia. We're going to play you on a pitch that resembles a trampoline. Um, <laughs> Far, far better <laughs> to play at Hobart where it's going to, you know, they, 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 you know, if conditions were, it happened to suit them, they could actually put up a half-decent show down there. If, um, Definitely, if it turns. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that and that I think that's another happy um, accident. You mentioned the um, the one-dayers and a few podcasts ago I made the point that we were, we'd gone um, a lengthy period of time without a, one, a men's one-dayer at the MCG and that when we had one this upcoming summer, it would be three years since there'd been one. There's not going to be one. There's no men's one-dayer this summer at the MCG. So that means that assuming there's one the next year, we will go four long years without a men's one-day game at the Melbourne Cricket Ground, which is going to be... Uh, Listeners, enjoy join with me for when the schedule is released for 2022-23 because the record for the longest time um, without a one-day at the MCG was between the first and second and then the second and third ever one-days, which were roughly about four years. So when you get close, you will, we'll actually have to check the dates to see if this can be the longest gap in history um, between one-days at the MCG. I mean, it's just going to be a stunning... What a cliffhanger what a you're cliffhanger. leaving everyone. What a cliffhanger. <laughs> That's a good playoff. And I guess the other thing to note is that the white ball cricket starts the 30th of January, so you, we could have a situation where most of the best white ball players are, are available for the Big mm. Bash, but then they might be unavailable for the Big Bash finals, which is not an ideal situation. So I'll be curious how the, the Big Bash schedule plays out, whether they try and get the Big Bash finished before January 30, because I know the networks want all the Australian white ball players in the Big Bash. Yeah, so, I mean, players mm. that are presumably not going to be in the Test Series, like Maxwell and others that are normally you held up yeah, held up with white ball guys, that'll, that'll really give the Big Bash a, a fillip. Definitely. All right, the next cricket headline. The Australian squad has been announced for the white ball tour of the West Indies, slated to go ahead late June. The, the big... Um, Exclusions are Manus Labuschagne has to sit out because he's in Glamorgan playing county cricket and the logistics of getting him in in, in and out too difficult. Daniel Sams has opted out after pretty tough time at the IPL. I think he actually contracted COVID, didn't mm, he? Yep. Mm. So he probably doesn't want to go travelling. Uh, Cameron Green, uh, the, the young all-rounder, he's not going because he wants to work on his bowling loads ahead of the season. And rumours abound that Pat Cummins and David Warner will not go on this tour and instead try and stay home with their families. Well, Cummins, yeah, well, that would make a lot of sense. His partner is pretty heavily pregnant, I believe. Yep, indeed, and yeah. they put off the wedding, so um, I, th- I think he'll he'll stay. It's a bit, yeah. I mean, it's obviously COVID times. So it's disappointing to have people having to pull out for various reasons, but mm. you know we've got to be flexible in these uncertain times. I like the three leg spinners that they've thrown into this squad. They've got Tanvir Sanger, Mitch Swepson, and Adam Zampa, a trio of spinners. That could be interesting. Yeah, and all, all in the lead up to the to the World Cup, which. Who knows where it'll be, but presumably it'll be in the UAE. So uh, five T20s against the West Indies and then three one-dayers. That's going to be, yeah, it's going to be pretty good preparation. The next cricket headline, the New South Wales contract list has been announced. And I really wanted to just bring this up because Oliver Davies, Paul, he got a contract. Yep. I know you've campaigned hard for this. Well, he's in, he's in the, he's in the contract list, which means he should play a lot next summer and, Unfortunately, Dan Solway and Nick Larkin have been axed to make way for the young Tyro. Yeah, it's good. It's, I mean, you're never happy when others get axed, but I think that, um, I mean, Larkin, he's age 31. He's played 43 matches for an average of 29.1. You'd have to say that Oliver Davies is um, an eye to the future the, the, that's the right thing to do. And we might touch on it um, with some of Greg Chappell's um, suggestions later on, but um, he's the sort of player that if he, if he doesn't get picked would be incentivised to skip state at some point. What uh, what kind of cut do you get, Paul? Um, it's fifty fifty actually. Really? Um, I've been, Jeez, yeah, was, that's the, more man- than any manager I know, I've heard. I know. I'm starting a new um, management wow. management um, business, and um, my aim is to really make a lot of money for me. And I, I really want to do a lot of deals where the players uh, get sort of foisted around, so I get fifty percent, fifty percent, fifty percent. You know, player welfare. I don't care about, but just <laughs> you know, all about me. 
Uh, in other news, South Australia have announced their contract list. And all I want to point out is here, a few shows ago, we said they should look at other states. Well, they have. They've poached Nathan McAndrew from New South Wales, Brendan Dockett, Brendan Doggett, the Queensland Quick, Nathan McSweeney, and um, top order batter Jake Carter from Western Australia are all going to South Australia. Not big names, but uh, I trust Jason Gillespie's um, nous for picking good talent. Well, he had a great... Deal of success in England. So, yeah, let's see. It's a tough job. In other exciting news for me in particular, because listeners will remember I bought a, a subscription <laughs> a few months ago to watch the Pakistan Super League. Oh, yeah, send your password through. That's a off-air edit that out, please. Um, <laughs> don't want to get arrested for sharing passwords. But um, the Pakistan Super League will resume in the UAE on the 2nd of June. And a lot of Aussies are going over there because the the delay to the tournament has meant a lot of squads have been altered. So Farwad Ahmed, Usman Khawaja, Tim David, Ben Dunk, James Faulkner, Callum Ferguson, Jake Weatherald and Jack Wildermuth. That's te- they're in the same team. I always get Jack Wildermuth and Jake Weatherall mixed up. Them being on the same oh, team that's is gonna not going to help. Mm. I, I spend a lot of time trying not to get them mixed up, and I still... <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard. Hopefully some equivalent of Billy Birmingham in, in Pakistan will do a, um, a 12th man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, look, I'm looking forward to the Pakistan Super League also being played in the UAE. So we'll start to get a sort of... A little bit of an idea of how the conditions are going to play out for potentially the IPL and then the World T20. Jack Wildermuth from Queensland had um, that, that's him, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Great all rounder. <laughs> he's had a really good couple of years. Mm. Um, uh, you know, he never gets talked about as a test player, but these last couple of years, his form's been um, superb with bat and ball. Yeah, a lot of um, players that would be playing in the PSL are not going back. Um, ben Cutting for one. So yep, yeah, I'll be. I'll let you know when that's on, Julie, so we can um, stay up late and watch it. Thanks. And Paul, you've got a county cricket update. Yeah, they're pretty depressing with the batting. We did one a couple of weeks ago, and I just thought I'd see how they're going again. Everyone's um, struggling. Marcus Harris is doing the best. He's averaging thirty six point eight after four games. Marcus Labuschagne has played four games for Glamorgan, averaging eight point eight. Travis Head just the two games, averaging twelve point three. Peter Hanscom five games for Middlesex, averaging only fourteen point four. Uh, much nicer with the bowlers. Michael Nisa has taken 12 wickets at 15.3 for Glamorgan. Dan Worrell, 40, 14 wickets at 23.9 for Gloucester. And Peter Siddle, who had a rough start to the season, was averaging 63s, starting to peg that back. He's now taken 10 wickets at 31.5 for Essex. So bowlers doing well, uh, batsmen not so much. Yeah, I've, I've cracked the code for watching county cricket. So if you're interested, this is how it works. Basically, just go onto YouTube and you just put in the home team home team's YouTube page, so Sussex Cricket or Essex Cricket, and that will take you pretty much straight to the live feed of the day's cricket. Mm-hmm. And I've got YouTube integrated on my TV, so it's really easy. You can just sit there. You know, if you've got all the searches saved, you can just flick around and, and watch the best game or, the, you know, the most exciting session. It's really fun, actually. That's cool. I believe you decided that county cricket was too high a standard for you. You told me that you started watching List A, so domestic one-day cricket from Ireland. Was it Leinster versus Munster or something? Leinster versus some team, northeast something, northeast zone or something. I mean, I, I do love my cricket, but you're starting to get to a level that even I am starting to think, hmm, um, that's, quite, that's quite impressive. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, it was last night. I just felt like a little bit of a light viewing before bed, and there w- I was waiting for the Sri Lanka-Bangladesh ODI to start up again, so just watched a bit of List Day Irish cricket. The, the year is 2027. <laughs> Menace is campaigning for Last Man Stands to be broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> the world has changed. I hope that never happens. <laughs> um, all right, he wants well, to see a double dismissal. <laughs> well please. Um, All right, well, that's the end of the cricket headlines. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back with Read and React and a listener review. I just want to remind you all of a couple of things. Firstly, uh, we have our Patreon page. I've put up three interviews, Shane Watson, Lisa Stalaker and Greg Chappell. So thank you to all the subscribers. And if you want to become one of them, look in the show notes. There's a link. You'll get my extra content. You'll also get Paul's wonderful deep dives, uh, which have been excellent so far. So I'd encourage you to have a look if you can spare the, the cash. 
Thank you. Yeah, um, I've been looking to forward to doing this next one on Bill O'Reilly, the rise and rise of Bill O'Reilly, the quite incredible start that he had to his career, which was then cut short by the New South Wales Department of Education for pure, purely spiteful reasons. So he was sent to the bush for three years just so he couldn't play cricket. And then he came back and surged ahead again. It's quite a, it's quite a story. That sounds really good. And uh, the, the other reminder is Cricket Daily starts next week. We're going to release some of the episodes on this feed, but that will only be very temporary. So when we release it, the episodes on this feed, the link will be in the notes. Go and subscribe to that show's actual podcast feed because um, it, it's only going to be on this feed for a little while. All right, after the break, read and react and a listener review. Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Manners. I'm with Paul and Jaleesa. And it's read and react time because there was an interesting article by Robert Craddock in the Courier Mail last week and uh, reflected on some of Greg Chappell's comments um, over the last couple of weeks about how he thinks the Australian cricket system can be improved. And I guess the, the first question that Greg Chappell asks, and he said this at the Chappell Foundation dinner as well, is, would we start with the system we have now? If you were starting mm. again, would you make it like this? Would you build it like no. this? He's got a good point. There's no way, to my way of thinking, that you'd start it with the shield in two halves enveloping the big ba- the big bash like that. I think that you wouldn't start it that way. Mm. And then the other thing he makes a point is that you know, New South Wales in particular, but also Victoria, have these massive populations mm. and there's only one state side in each of those states and therefore – it's just not utilising the talent enough. It's not allowing talent to develop enough. I think it's ridiculous that Canberra don't have a side, and I've thought that for a good decade just because of um, how many talented country cricketers we've seen go on to represent Australia, Nathan Lyon being one of them. Brad Haddon. Yeah. Yeah, um, I agree. Nathan Lyon had to leave Canberra to – and, you know, someone actually once said to me um, in that system in, in Canberra that – um, there were more talented cricketers than Nathan Lyon in that system, but they were not, you know, willing to take the risk for various reasons of up and leaving and going to other states. And, you know, they went into other jobs. Nathan Lyon had that work ethic of going up and leaving and making really difficult decisions. And I think a lot of country cricketers around that area would have been, would be picked up if there was a, a Canberra team. Plus, even just for other Sydney cricketers who are not able to force their way in, it's quite a big thing. Um, if you're, 22 and you think, well, I'm really not going to play for New South Wales anytime soon, to suddenly have to jump and go to live in Hobart. A lot mm. of people don't want to do that. Or so um, and, Adelaide. Or Adelaide, yeah. Um, if you go to Canberra, that's a much smaller move to have to make. Especially when you're putting on potentially setting yourself up for another career in life. You go, oh, yeah. well, do I take this risk? Or at 25, do I start again? Another thing is, <clears throat> just thinking about it, uh, I've always said the best cricketer I've ever seen is Adam Gilchrist. And look what he had to do to get in the Australian side. That he... He should have been in the Australian side many years before he was. He wasn't even in the New South Wales side because Phil Emery was keeping him out. He had to move states across to Western Australia to try to get a gig. Ousted Tim Zura. Had to then knock Tim Zura out of the side. Had we had an ACT team, maybe he would have been able to, to, to move down there and then potentially um, get into the Australian side earlier than he did. He was almost 30 by the time he got in, which is ridiculous. I think a camera side makes sense because I don't think you should have just some kind of draft team. Because that would have no identity. It would be like the, the CA11, yeah. which is a, an abomination. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, like, I think New South Wales actually could service a second side. Like, they have the talent to put out two 11s in the shield. But that would, v- you know, diminish the competition immeasurably if you had two New South yeah. Wales teams. Yeah. You, just, you can't do that. So a Canberra side kind of skirts around those issues. As you say, Paul. Maybe like a Bendigo side. A Burrower side. Hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. The Burrower Gators would love that. Uh, you're gonna love this man. But that's all it worked in Super Rugby, didn't it? The, oh hundred <laughs> percent. The ACT Brumbies were in the early days, I believe, mainly just sort of players who couldn't make the New South Wales and Queensland sides. They relocated down there. I'm sure there was some like Yeah, they're the as most well. dominant force. I yeah. mean the Reds won this year, but we will forget that. Good chat, guys. All right, the, um, the next bit yeah, of cool. news that Greg Chappell was speaking about or the next sort of idea he had was that he thinks that there's not enough A-tours for young Australian cricketers. Oh. And I actually think he has a point on this one, but it, it's it's got to be off-season tours where 
Mm. The players aren't taken out from our domestic system. <clears throat> yes. But his plan is to work that. He's saying, um, let's start the shield early. Let's start the shield as early as August. Yeah, well, that's in, that's a pipe dream. Why? I where, think that's a bad they, idea. Where would, A, the weather's not good. Where would they get their pitches from? All it the, would be completely swallowed up by coverage of NRL and AFL finals. No, but finals. of course it's going to be. I mean, the, 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 no, the shield gets no coverage anyway. It's not about coverage. It's about um, what's the best that you can have for the... the cradle of future generations of Australian cricket, you could have pitches in in August in, in, in Queensland and, um, mm. and Northern Territory. You could start it in September. Maybe Victoria doesn't play a home game for the first three or four rounds, same as, as Tasmania, but you, Queensland gets in their games. Allen Borderfield, that's where you'd play them. Um, yeah. But the point I is... I don't like the idea. No, but oh, I, don't. I don't love it in the sense that I'd rather that we didn't have to, but... I like it more than having to split the shield in half. And I think at the moment where you've got to go, you have that first bit, then it just completely stops for ages and the big bash occurs and then the second bit, it's all right. I I would find it a more attractive competition if it went um, September, October, November, December and then stopped for the big bash. He's talking about having the Marsh Cup uh, fed in, in in December as well. Then you have the big bash and then that's when you can start to have some some A-team games because there's no other domestic cricket that they're getting in the way of. The A-team thing's an interesting thing. I'd never really considered uh, how well our A-team structure is, but if they're saying that India's A-team structure is much better and they're playing all around the world, no wonder they're doing um, better than us. Yeah, it makes sense. I think if you could go on A-tours in the off-season to give young players experience in different conditions, that's very good. But I don't like the idea of congesting the shield because I think that would be really difficult for the players trying to sort of put play 11 rounds of first-class cricket back-to-back. And I don't think there's any great benefit to it because I think in international cricket, you have to learn to be adaptable. So you have to actually learn the skill of playing a few red ball games, then going and playing a white ball game and vice versa. So, uh, yeah, I I prefer um, adding some A-tours to to give the elite players a go, but not taking them out of our system. Not at the expense of anything else. Yeah, and that was the problem three or four years ago when Greg Chappell was in charge of the high-performance area, that there was a feeling that too many of these players were taken out of the domestic system, which then weakens the whole thing. So anyway, that were the thoughts of Greg Chappell. Go and find Crash's article on um, Courier Mail and actually Robert Craddock's the next guest on Manners Masterclass. So I'm actually interviewing him this week. Excellent. Can't wait for that. Um, all right, viewer mail. Oh, sorry, this is not viewer mail. This is a review left on iTunes. I think maybe Paul should read this out. Okay, um, it's from uh, Guru Shetty, and it's called Necessary Evil, really, and with five stars. They're important you put out the five stars. Ooh, I knew. As starting I was, strong. As I was about to say the five stars, I thought I'd better say the five stars because if I haven't said it in the next second, minutes is going to jump me down my throat. <laughs> For a non-Australian, it's hard to make sense of or reconcile with Menzel's needless aggression against English cricket and the display of extreme parochialism, like how he is now arguing that cricketers be prioritised over ordinary citizens to be brought back to Australia. However, having been a listener over the years, I do know the passion for the game is real and he puts the game above most. He makes a good point, this next point here. Jaleesa and Paul have been wonderful additions, especially with tempering his rhetoric, balancing perspective, and above all, some much-needed analytical element to the show. It is entertaining all the same. That's you, Paul. (laughs) It is entertaining all the same once one gets used to the main host's peculiarities. We've not yet got used to his hosts, the host's peculiarities. We're yeah, look, you're not wrong, Guru. You're not wrong. That's a great, great review. Thank you. Um, it's pretty hard for me to. It's pretty easy for me to make sense of my needless aggression against English cricket, Guru. There's a few things that a I've I've been to England and and spent a lot of time with English people. Oh, also I've Tell been married to a pom for twenty years. So there's a lot going on there. You can do your own psychological analysis, <laughs> Guru. Um, uh, yeah. Love that, Guru. Um, yeah, I like the uh, when when you're you're pointing out, you know, when men is just crapping on about things like cricket is being prioritised. He's he's just he's just baiting. He's just putting out the <laughs> putting out the bait for all the fish to chomp on, and I chomp. And you fell for it, Guru. I'm a, you I fell, fell for it. Fell for my trap. I fell for it too. I was a big. You know, the funny thing is, 
Menes was being absolutely dead serious when he said that. Oh, of course I was. <laughs> he wasn't baiting was. at all. <laughs> and it goes back to this thing against the English cricket. Who's going to win the Ashes if they're all stuck in India? Um, but We are not thing, starting again. Guru, I just want to say I agree with you. Jaleesa and Paul have been wonderful additions. Oh, thank you. Um, Stop. As I said before, oh. I met Paul. Um, well, I heard Paul's podcast, The Bat and Ball with Pat and Paul, and I reached out to him and said, come on the Australian Cricket Podcast at the time. And I saw Jaleesa watching Shield Cricket on her days off. And we'd met, I think, at a couple of press conferences. And I was like, okay, she is a cricket nuffy because there are not many sports reporters going to the Shield on their days <laughs> off. There's not much to do on a Wednesday. Well. When you want a day drink. <laughs> <laughs> Truth comes out. <laughs> All right. We'll be back after the break with Can't Let It Go. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. It's the last segment of the show. It's Can't Let It Go. That little bit of cricket news, you can't let go through to the keeper. Tim Payne would probably drop it anyway. But anyway, um, Paul, you've got something. So I just happened across some rugby league coverage on television. It's a Canterbury versus Parramatta game. Here's the start of the coverage and competition. Jaleesa and Menas. Who can be the first person to correctly identify who the host is? You ready? Yep. Canterbury at home at Belmore against Parramatta. Jim Maxwell. By the end of the afternoon, they may not feel at home because Parramatta in excellent form, especially in the back. How many years ago is this? And when you look at the competition table... Okay, well, I got it really quickly. I mean, I feel that this is a little bit unfair, Jaleesa, because... Last Tuesday, I was at a, a talk that Jim Maxwell gave. He was talking about his career and he spoke about commentating on the footy and stuff. So yeah, I knew that he did as well. But I just thought, when I saw it, I thought, this is so beautiful that it marries Jaleesa's interest in rugby league and Menes' interest in cricket. What year is it? 1985. Okay. <laughs> um, the, uh, how was I supposed to get that? Well, it was obviously Jim Maxwell. I, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> recognise that it was. <laughs> Well, that was, yeah, that was... That his, was yes, his, I won! Well done, Menace. His style has changed quite... I mean, it is in that quite old style of broadcasting, yeah. isn't it? But the music, I had to cut the most of the music. The style of the music is really, really good. Yeah, um, it's jazzy. Yeah, so it was ABC TV, Belmore Oval, 1985, Canterbury versus Parramatta, with the mighty Jim Maxwell. And I just thought it was, yeah, it was a lovely merging of, um, of the interest of this podcast. That's Absolutely. Lovely. I turned it into a quiz. Um, so what's your can't let it go? Uh, my car let it go is a debate on whether myself and Cameron Bancroft are psychopaths. <laughs> well, Open the floor. <laughs> yes. We have something in common I discovered quite recently, which I think makes us both a bit weird. We like to throw people under the butt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> have you got, don't tell me you're going to say you've got a massive head. Because <laughs> he's got a very heavy head. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I, no, I have a very little head. Oh, okay. Uh, so no, we don't have that in common. Uh, no, we have, we have something else in common. First of all, we both like to watch long test matches. Well, I assume he likes to watch them as well in, as playing them. So I think anyone who does that, watches a game that goes for five days, it potentially ends in a draw, is a little crazy. Definitely. But the other thing that we've got in common is we – in the other part of my life that I really – two passions – three passions I have in my life is sport, true crime and documentaries, and animals. I just love animals. I'm always at the zoo. But the second one is what I found that Cameron Bancroft and I have in common because I was listening to the Claremont trial of the Claremont serial killer. Yeah. And this tri- this was actually filmed, uh, sorry, recorded this trial by the West, the podcast by the West, was actually recorded day by day as the trial went on. Um, so it was obviously last year and the trial's concluded and everything. But they take viewer mail at the end of the trial and one person was Cameron Bancroft. <laughs> what did he say? He just called in. He uh, had written in with a question about. Um, oh, it was a very technical question about um, the way that the what the crime had taken place, and he was asking the experts, you know, um, something about like, oh, would this point to guilt or would blah 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 blah. But they said yes, this is actually you know, and this comes from Cameron Bancroft, and yes, this is actually Cameron Bancroft, the cricketer. <laughs> and so he was listening to the he obviously was listening to the trial that was unfolding. So um I think we're both a little bit weird for enjoying true crime and cricket, which is 
obviously it's <laughs> two very odd topics. But if Cameron Bancroft is listening to this podcast, which I'm sure he is, I really want you to get in touch with me because I can't find anyone else who has listened to this podcast and I really want to discuss this podcast with someone. So, and I'll the, listen and, to her. I'll listen to her. And the whole trial. I think, she, I think she's writing Cameron Bancroft too, not you. Well. <laughs> no, like, man, is literally the trial, like there's a hundred and something episodes. Oh, wow. it goes, oh, wow. It's every day of the trial. The Crikey. trial went for months. And you listen to all of them. I'm I'm at about episode sixty at the moment. Wow! So no, Cameron Bancroft, if you want to uh, get in touch, that'd be great. I promise I won't ask you anything about ball tampering. <laughs> <laughs> there was an episode of um, uh, Manchester United Television a few years ago where after the game they're having their usual phone in and discussing the game that Manchester United just played, and this bloke rang in, and they didn't they, they caught his name, but they didn't think it through. And then he asked a question. Uh, he had a quite strong West Indian accent, and then. Just as they ended, they sort of the hosts realised what his name was, and they sort of said, "That guy said his name was Usain," and they suddenly realised that was actually Usain Bolt. What? Who, who, it was dead set. You, when you hear it, it's his, his voice for sure. Really? He'd rung up just to make a point because he's a Manchester United fan. I thought that, you know that such and such played well, and we should have done this, and the manager should have done that, and they lost sort of like a, an opportunity of a lifetime to sort of have a chat to him. I actually tried to call up your radio show on Saturday. You're blocked, um, I think. Well, yeah, they, 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 I couldn't get through. And then uh, I, I just sent in a couple of SMSs criticising your co-hosts. Um, oh. Just to see if, um, you know, it would make the air. Oh. I think I said to one of you ke- about your co-hosts, oh, you know, life tips, great, thank you. Um, oh, wow, it's so weird that that didn't make it to air. <laughs> <laughs> Normally that's when you, you, when you, when you get a, a message from Fred saying, you're the worst person ever. And Fred, thanks very much for your loyalty. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would have been funny too. Um, all right, Mike. I can't let it go. Well, Jaleesa, this is going to exclude you, but Paul, oh. you know, we're about the same age, mid-40s, and, you know, I, I've been really comfortable with where I'm at in my life. You know, I'm happy with my l- lack of athletic prowess. I'm also thinking, you know, it's too late for us anyway. Like, we can't play cricket. It, it's over. But then oh. I was watching the county cricket on the weekend. I think you're talking about Phil Mickelson now. Well, I'm talking about Darren Stevens, <laughs> the, the Kent all-rounder. The guy is 45. His record is incredible. Like, even though he wouldn't make probably a first-grade team here, his amount of runs and wickets over his career is extraordinary. I think he debuted in 1997, county cricket. So he's 45. He made on the weekend 190 of 149 balls. When he came to the crease, the score was five for 80. He had 15 fours and 15 sixes. Crikey. He put on 166 with Miguel Cummins. Miguel made one. <laughs> it's just a world record partnership. And it was funny watching it because they didn't have, they only had two cameras at each end. So you couldn't see where the ball was being hit. You just hear the commentator go, Oh, oh, that's just got over his head six more. But you mm-hmm. couldn't see it. Um, but I watched a lot of it. Um, but it just made me think, Paul, Mickelson, 50 wins the USPGA. Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl last year. Jimmy Anderson still going. Serena Williams won a major at almost 40. What are we doing with our lives? We're mid-40s, fat, unfit. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah, thanks, that is, uh... <laughs> I said we, I didn't say him. No, she's saying that is from me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we really should be in the NFL. I mean, uh, we just what we need to do is just over the next, when's, when's the next season start? Probably Have about you guys September. tried practicing? Well, got... I think county cricket should be an aim. <laughs> Maybe um, lawn bowls. Okay, well... What can, what can we make the Olympics for? It's been a boost to um, middle-aged men. That's all I'm saying. Um, Steve O'Keefe should go and play county cricket, do the requisite time qualifying. He's only 36, and then see if he can win the Ashes for England to punish New South Wales for getting rid of him. Ooh. That's a good plan. We'll send sock that one. <laughs> all right, well, that's the end of this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Any messages for the listeners, Jaleesa? Yeah, uh, Cameron Bancroft, uh, you're listening. Tweet me and tell me what you thought about the other podcast. Definitely. What's it called, if anyone wants to listen to it? Uh, it's the Claremont, the trial by the West. There you um, go. Paul, any messages for the listeners? Tune in to Cricket Daily starting on Monday, and it will be hopefully a show that you could have every day set aside, whenever you listen to it, for 15 minutes on your afternoon commute and really um, help you get through the afternoon and with a smile on your face. You know when doctors say to you, like, you should do 15 minutes of meditation a day? Well, everybody makes sure that instead of that, you listen to the podcast. Exactly. Because what do doctors know? Don't read a book to your kids at night. Spend that 15 minutes listening to us. It's more important. Yes. 
Good, good one. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks for listening. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.